sociopolitical issues. One man searches for intelligent conversation. From Dedham, Massachusetts, the birthplace of modern democracy, this is You Don't Have to Yell with your host, Dan Sally. Welcome to episode 43 of You Don't Have to Yell, marking what is either the first week of the liberation of America from the overreach of the nanny state or the week where a bunch of people trigger the end of civilization by going to Home Depot, depending on which way your political leanings fall. Now, when the Data Monkey and I were mapping out this week's episode, we'd intended to talk about just that. And in doing so, we got into a much deeper conversation about the nature of how we think the way we do and how our ability to be conscious of what influences our thoughts is critical in an age where an abundance of information makes it easy for us to consume enough ideas based in fantasy that we think they're reality. Now, the good news, bad news here is there is most likely going to be something you really don't agree with in this episode, but we also talk about murder hornets, so hopefully that evens things out. I'll be back at the end to share my learnings. I remember being in Ireland and I had a you know, had a cold. And so I went to the pharmacy and I go walking in and I'm looking for the cold medicine. I can't find it. And finally I see it's at the back of the store. So I start walking, you know, I'm in the back of the store kind of looking through and I realize I'm behind the register. So like people are getting rung up and, you know, everybody's kind of cued because it's Ireland. So they're all cued. And I'm kind of like back where everybody else is working, <laughs> looking for, looking at a cold medicine. And I'm like, this doesn't feel right. So, and, and of course it's Ireland. So they're all kind of super polite and they don't tell you like, hey, dickhead, you're not <laughs> supposed to be behind here. So, but I kind of figure it out for myself and I go and wait in line. And I finally, you know, get to the, get to the end of the line and I'm like, yeah, you know, I just need to get some cold medicine. And he goes, well, what are your symptoms? And so I tell him what my symptoms are. And, uh, and he goes, okay, here. So, and he pulls out the cold medicine. He goes, okay, so take this, you know, a couple times a day, take this overnight, blah, blah, blah. And he kind of goes through and gives me everything that I need. And I'm walking out of there and one part of me is kind of like, well, I'd kind of like to be able to pick up my own cold medicine but the second part of me is like, you know, the system in Ireland is set up so that if I'm sick, I go to a pharmacologist who went to school and studied drugs and their interactions. And that person's going to tell me what I should take versus, yeah, versus you, me just grabbing whatever package yeah, looks most enticing it, to me. Well, exactly. Like in the United States, like my, my, our, our qualification is that we watch television. That's basically right. like our entire field of study is I saw a NyQuil commercial and the guy looked really great in the morning, you know, the commercial morning. So I'm pretty sure this is the stuff I want to take. Yep. Yeah. That is an interesting segue into today's episode. You got to the pharmacologist twist. You have COVID double twist. You have it, tuberculosis. Yes. Ex <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and that's an interesting segue. Before we get into the topic at hand, I want to call out one thing, which is I recently upgraded the analytics for You Don't Have to Yell. So I can now actually see geographically where all of you are located. And 
I would like to thank my dedicated listeners in Lower Saxony. Interesting. Lower Saxony, Germany. Huh. I'd like to thank... So, so apparently, um, you know, this is really big there. So um, I'm really glad that you're, 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 you're tuning in and uh, really glad you get to watch the mess that is the United States of America from afar. I would share like your vantage point. Lower Saxony, Upper Saxony. I'm not super picky about my Saxonies, but um, but yeah. So interesting. I was wondering uh-huh. about that. As they, you're going to find some pockets of odd listenership. Yeah, uh, we we had one uh, one listener in uh, Tatarstan. That's uh, that's in kind of central Russia. Uh, home of the Tatars and uh, and the famed Tatar yoke, and yeah, so we have one one listener in Tatarstan uh, along a while back. I apparently we we couldn't keep the Tatarstan audience, so in a twist, it's Vladimir Putin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or some Russian troll farm looking for ideas. <laughs> More um, likely. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Seriously. So, how can we use this as a wedge to further divide them? Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You came to the wrong place, dude. Um, I've actually, so the great thing about this is I know last time we talked, we had an outlined episode that we thought was great until the president said a bunch of weird shit. And then we had to talk about that. This time, I don't think anything weirder has happened than what we have, than what we've outlined, because we decided to speak a day ago as opposed to a few days. We didn't let things lag. Yeah. Um, the the number one story for the month that I want to dig into is a story that broke right, really right at the beginning of the month. Uh, murder hornets. Do yeah. we need do my do we need to be scared of murder hornets? Oh boy. Uh, so interesting. Uh, there's there's a lot to, to to try to dig into there, right? Like, it's with most threats, I find it's really about branding, because if you just call them Asian giant hornets, that's you know the giant part's kind of scary, but it's not scary enough. We got to figure out a way to make it scarier. Let's call them murder hornets. <laughs> then it's really bad because you know it was African killer bees. The yes. one that was like, you know, really uh, an imminent threat that we yeah. were all really worried about. Uh, I think it was going on 30 years ago. It's now. like the killer bee wasn't enough. So they had to add like an element of racism in there <laughs> to get everybody sort of riled up. Yeah. Oh, they're African. Oh, well then. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I didn't, I, I got to be honest with you. I kind of dismissed this story a little bit out of hand right at the beginning because it was, it was the New York Times doing one of these sort of New York Timesy types of pieces. Yeah, it was like you know, early in May. They're like they, you know, they decide. Well, they find a beekeeper who might, may or may not have had his uh, his bees destroyed by um, a these uh, murder murder hornets or Asian giant hornets. Um, Still inconclusive as to whether that was actually the cause. I mean, yeah. he's a really terrible beekeeper. But the uh, the end result was that you know, they write the piece like as if this is like an imminent threat. And of course, with the 
with the headline, it makes it sound really, really, really terrible. Um, and there's a, like a broader issue at work here, right? That's, that's probably relevant, which is that like the concept of invasive species, like that's a whole thing we could sort of unpack as to like what invasive species do to, um, you know, to sort of, uh, any new, you know, biosphere or bio system that they're introduced to, like ecological system they're introduced to that they're not, that they're foreign to, like they have to, by definition, they sort of come in and have to make a space for themselves. So therefore they get rid of, they like other, you know, other things are eliminated. I want to pause for a moment because, and just get back to the beginning where you talked about how the New York Times published it. Is the New York Times not getting enough panic clicks right now? Yeah. You know, <laughs> but it's like, it's like all of news is like about that, right? Like you and I talked about this in the last time, right? Like, yeah, headlines like don't look at the headlines in news. It's really terrible. It really sways like your ability to kind of understand. Like, if you're all you're going to look at is the headline, it's always going to be something horrible, An yeah, imminent threat, a, a, a risk to you, your friends, your family. Mm-hmm. Your, your livelihood, like it's always going to be something to to panic you in some way, you know. Uh, I think Saturday Night Live did that really well years ago, and they're like toxic mold, you know. Like it's got to be it's always going to be something that's like creeping in to destroy you and your and your life. Like let's keep you in a constant state of absolute uh, worry and concern. And therefore, I'm going to click more articles on the New York Times to try to read it or wherever else I'm reading to find out. Yeah, what. which most people typically don't do. I, I think what happens, I think the business model is have a headline that makes a bunch of people freak out so hard they share it. And then there's a subset of people who are going to click on that and actually read it and then realize they don't have to panic. But meanwhile, and so you know, the business model is effectively uh, our advertisers are paying for impressions. So we're going to cast this wide net in order to get this small number of impressions. And meanwhile, a much larger group of people are all going to be thrown into a tizzy because now they don't just have to worry about a very real, very lethal flu, but also the prospects that giant hornets with quarter-inch stingers are going to show up at their house. So, yeah, so the... So to come back to that, so like on on a scale of intelligent discussion, there is there is on one you know poll there is kind of a actual discussion around globalization and invasive species. That's very real. On the other poll, there's murder hornets. <laughs> you know, yes, <laughs> we have. The opening par—I mean, the opening paragraphs of that article that started this whole thing—like were written like an ecological horror movie, right? Yeah. It was like, you know, one day beekeeper came, you know, walked over and and found all of his bees murdered, and like, and then what was it? Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, across town, an odd and giant. <laughs> hornet is found by another it's just like oh okay i get where you're going with this but but let's get into the facts of the story right the facts of the story was that there have been there were depending on i've seen sort of i read a click through a couple different articles on a couple different sources and one said there's been two found another said there's been four found but like 
I'll go with the two because that's been reported multiple places, and the four was only reported in one. Four, place. four, like nationwide. So that, well, four. yeah. So that's in. So that's in the um, now. I guess the like according to the Washington State Department of Agriculture, I guess they maybe verified that there were four sightings. Mm-hmm. Um, but the more important one was that that that's just in sort of Washington State. The more important was in British Columbia, where there was a whole hive and that would be okay. like the that was like the the one that was otherwise there's just been you know generally only single ones um found and so the i think the there's a couple things i mean so as i said like there's how okay how did they get there well it's probably from like cargo containers i mean these places are like these are ports right so they there's like this is where you know we bring in lots of um, cargo containers from Asia that then fill up things and go back, and so that, and they only they only look at so many of these things, right? Like you've got um, you know in, in U.S. ports alone, there's something like I don't know, like close to twenty thousand cargo containers coming in every day uh, on the at the ports. So how many are you going to? You're not looking to look at all of them, right? You can only you can only do a sample of all of them. So you like you you check them, um, you know, I mean, some percentage that you're going to get the, some small percent that you're going to keep checking to make sure that, you know, there's nothing a illegal B there's not invasive species or other issues going on with it. So, um, that's all, you know, that that's okay. So that you, you can, you can check only so many, that's how things are going to get in here. So yes, a, a hornet, uh, and most likely some a queen or something came in through one of these mm-hmm. and then established um you know a a a hive of some kind yeah uh, okay so yeah i guess they don't want them to to spread sure they also aren't they can't really tolerate like extreme hot or cold so if you think about like the upper midwest you know it's it's got like lots of microclimates and like little pockets. Right. So it is a question of like, all right, well, how far can these things travel if they're in like a one sort of microclimate that yeah. is, you know, moderate, like, is it somewhat, you know, moderate, then how far are they really going to get beyond mm-hmm. that? Right. I mean, maybe, but it's like the rate of the rate of expansion would be extremely slow. Right. It's not like there's, it's like a wave of these things that are suddenly going to be coming across the country. Right. Um, and in fact, this article came out in May 2nd, right. There hasn't been one sighting of any of these things in 2020. This was in November of 2019 that they were finding this stuff. So the idea that this article sort of, they, you know, was this new news or did the, it wasn't really, it was just the New York times, like, only just kind of finally came across the story, right? Somebody sniffed out a story and said like, Oh, this is an interesting one. And it, and boy, I interviewed the bee. I called up and interviewed the beekeeper and you know, it's like, it's like an opening of a horror movie. Let's write it up. I'm going Uh, right. uh, Yeah. I'm going right back to my original or to a statement I made earlier, which is everybody has a sufficient and real amount of panic. There is, Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to sugarcoat stuff. I'm not saying that they shouldn't report on stuff that's real, but they shouldn't report on stuff that's like marginally real. Yeah. You I mean, know? it's real. It's new. It's just such a sensationalist way to write up such a, like a, a, a modest little footnote. It in, is in the story of globalization and invasive species. Yeah. I just right? jumped on, 
I just jumped on the Wiki- Wikipedia page for uh, the murder hornets here. First off, first off, they have a number of different names, um, including the general officer hornet, the giant tiger head bee. Yep, those don't sound as exciting. Giant sparrow bee, which is if if I heard sparrow bee, I'd be kind of freaked out. And then, of course, there's the murder hornet. Um, but this is the best part, right? So I'm kind of reading down effects on humans. Okay. Since 2001. Okay. So that's 19 years. The yearly human death toll caused by stings of bees, wasps, and hornets in Japan has been ranging between. Do you want to give me a number? I think I know the number because I think I came across it. It kills less than 13 people a year. 12 and 26. Yeah. Per year. And in 2017, 2018, it was less than 13 people. It, this is, here's, here's what's even better is the scary stat that the New York Times threw in there was that murder hornets kill mm-hmm. 50 people a year in Asia. Stop and do that math. In how Asia? Many, how many people in Asia, Dan? They've got like, it's like, it's like a third of the population. The global the population. Yeah. Exactly. Here's, so, and here's the best part. 50 a year in Asia. That sounds, mm-hmm. that sounds like 50 people a year. That sounds like a lot. Yeah, in Asia. All right, that sounds like even less. How many people die from hornets, wasps, and bee stings just in the U.S. every year? Do you have a, do you have oh, a guess? I, I don't know. Like a, a hundred? Not even. We have, but 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 still more than fifty. Uh, you know, the CDC okay. would say sixty-two average a year for the last twenty years. So the real the real story buried in all this is that we're falling behind the world in terms of bee mortality is really it, right? It's the, really the way. I'm not, just uh, another way that we're losing our, our, uh, our greatness down. Yes. Uh, let's, yeah, exactly. Let's get that bee mortality rate down. I also want to like highlight something here too, which is, and, and I'm not anti-media. I am not one to shout fake news, all that stuff. But New York Times, you cannot have it both ways. You cannot try and tell the world or tell the country that you are a necessary counterweight to government power and a trusted resource for information on what is going on in the halls of government and at the same time boost your ad revenue by putting out some crap bullshit story about a hornet threat that doesn't even exist. Yeah, it's just it's like blatant sensationalism and it and it just it it begs the question, right? And this is the reality. This to me, I mean again, it's just one idiot's opinion, but the, yeah. my view of this is that that's the real essence of fake news, right? It's not that yeah. news is, it's not that news is fake. It's that we take things that are statistically aberrant, things that are not as relevant, not terribly relevant or are not necessarily indicative of a trend. And then, like, make sensationalize them into bigger stories than they really are. And maybe, like, I. And that doesn't mean it's fake. Like, the, the bottom line is, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the type of nerd who, like, I still get the, the actual newspaper on the weekends, like the, the paper version delivered. Whoa. Even, even in these times, I, I'm willing to take the risk that somebody touched it. Way uh, to go, Fred Flintstone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and one of the things I do to be, because I'm not enough of a nerd already, is like as I read things, I will write and underline stuff, right? And yeah. so 
I'll go through and like when I was reading articles, I'll I'll just underline which pieces of it are factual information, and when they give factual information, to oftentimes then try to put it in context, right? So when it you know when I read a line like kills fifty people in Asia, the first thing I might jot in the margin next to it is like fifty divided by three billion. Is that <laughs> something I really need to care about? <laughs> I, I've kind of thrown, you know, taken a pot shot at the New York Times for this story. But the flip side is it's is it is a two way street, and it's as much a result of what people share on social media. And I'm look, I shared the instant I saw that murder hornet story, I shared it right away. I was like, I put that right on my feed because I I thought it was hysterical. I'm like, mm-hmm. could things possibly? I mean, do we need anything else? Like, could things possibly get any worse? They could. They could. I'm not tempting fate. They could get a lot worse. I mean, the Egyptians probably thought they had it bad when they had the plague of frogs. And so, yeah, so things could get a lot worse. However, that being said, murder hornets on top of the pandemic, it was a lot for me. I thought it was hysterical. I shared it. And so I guess the question is, is like in that relationship, is it a case where the press has the responsibility not to pursue the clicks? Is it a case where the public has a responsibility not to buy into it? Or is it a bit of both? And does everybody kind of need to clean up their act? Well, I, I, I guess I'd lean toward a bit of both. But there's also a part of me that wants to say to most adults, right, who yeah. have a you know reading level and, abil- and comprehension ability beyond you know the sixth grade, Mm-hmm. to not be children when they read things. I mean, come on. Like, and, and don't be like, let's not pretend you don't know that there's a business model here, right? That they're trying to get clicks. Like, if you're not telling yourself that every single time you're clicking on something, like, are, why, like what did they do to, what line did they put in the water to get me to bite? Here? Yeah. Like, if yeah. you're not asking yourself, like, that question, grow up. Well, and this this actually dovetails quite nicely into the next thing we wanted to talk about, which is, you know, if we look at the last four years, and I have made no secret of the fact I am not a Trump fan on this show. Zero secret. Um, However, if we look at the last four years, if I, again, just scan the news and scan the social media feed, the amount of the 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 criticism of Trump or the the headlines criticizing Trump, I, I would give a legitimacy rate of maybe twenty, like maybe uh, you know I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I feel like there is definitely a lot that he's doing really wrong, and then there's a whole lot that people say he's doing wrong that really is kind of like all right, like did you care about it with the last guy? Yeah. No. No. Uh, Absolutely. And and that's the. I mean, it was a little bit of what we were talking about on the last episode, right? With the drinking bleach, the drinking bleach stuff. Yes. Like, there's enough bad stuff that you don't have to like make up things, right? Like that's the and that's and you know again in the in the vein of saying like don't be children. Like remember when we were all children and they had like you know the 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 story of like don't cry wolf. You know, I mean, like if everything's a five alarm fire, then nothing is. So you can't. You can't get into a state, a constant state of outrage about every single thing. And so that kind of gets to the partisan divide on the current pandemic. 
and the partisan divide on whether it is a threat and what we should be doing about it and whether or not I should be wearing a mask. Right. Right? Because it's like people are outsourcing their thinking. Yes. Like to, to party propaganda. And I, I'm, I'm saying that to you Republicans and I'm looking at you Democrats. Like I, it's the same thing. Like mm-hmm. you're, you've outsourced your own critical thinking to uh, a batch of talking points. And I think we said this in the last show too, is that the current pandemic is, is a, is, is a, is a really, um, and, and our approach to it and our lack of a structured unified approach to it is really a reflection of how fractured and how really uh, lethal this practice has become uh, because we have a situation now where there are a group of people who, again, through the hysteria of the other side, and I'm going to call it hysteria through the hysteria of the left. Um, the, the folks on the right, the Trump fans are now not believing anything. And so when you have somebody like Donald Trump who wants to treat this pandemic the same way he'd treat a case of salmonella at Mar-a-Lago, you know, where just kind of brush it under the rug and make sure everybody feels good, you know, make sure everybody thinks we're still wonderful. Um, you know, they're going to choose the, they're going to take the wrong choice, you know? Yeah. And, and, and in my mind, I, I, I personally think that, you know, Trump's strategy in all this is number one, his big concern is the economy. If he if the economy is not good, he's toast in November. There's no yeah. other reason he'll get no, elected. And that's that, that's yeah, that yeah. that's one hundred percent true. That's the that's the biggest like so, you know, if you look at the number the percentage of people in America who mm-hmm. are concerned, somewhat are very concerned about, you know, just the overall like risk to their health from coronavirus, it's about sixty yeah. percent. But it's yeah. actually about the same for people who are very concerned. Oh, it's actually higher for the economic impact, right? Yeah. So if you look at sort of very concerned and somewhat concerned, adds up to a, a much bigger percentage um, mm-hmm. than than just the health concerns. The economic yeah. concerns are much bigger. Yeah, and so so there's that, and then I think the second part, and again, this plays back into what we were talking about with uh, the media's role and the public's role in sharing either useful or or sensational information is is Trump knows that all he has to do is say a bunch of crazy shit and that's going to own the 24-hour news cycle. So if we are spending the day talking about him taking hydroxychloroquine or if we are spending the day talking about whether he said we should drink bleach or not, we are not talking about the economy. We're not talking about the pandemic. We're not talking about the two, his two weakest points. And, but everybody buys into it. Everybody buys into it. I'm going to buy Greenland. Everybody talks about buying Greenland for a week. Obamagate. Obamagate. Yeah. Whatever that is. I'm not oh. Sure. oh, my God. I mean, we'll we have just... to save that for another episode because I'll have to actually unpack what the actual string is. Yes. Uh, I don't, I don't, I mean, maybe, I mean, there must be some basis of what this is and I'm, I'm not entirely sure, but I mean, again, in the interest of thinking for yourself, like, wow, how coincident that this would come up right now. I mean, about the Obama administration and Joe Biden, right when there's an election coming in November. I, uh, I mean, come on, be a, don't be a child. Like, 
you know, so so as I said to someone like who's you know started in on this with like I was I was back and forth with somebody on social media, it was a um, friend of mine, and you know started to lay out, and I was just like, just stop, just stop. I don't I don't want to hear because what you're telling me is I can just look forward to lock him up versus lock her up, like four years ago. Like I get it. We're just we're just you know turning everybody into a criminal. And look, that's again, I'm not. That's that's his tactic. And it's not like it's that different on the other side either, right? Trump's been a criminal from day one. They've just been like looking for the crime that, you know, they're going to hang him on. Yeah. I do, you know, I had this, I I think we've talked about this, uh, you know, in, in conversations years prior, but um, Ray Kurzweil, for those of you who don't know, Ray Kurzweil is a, is a, is a, a brilliant, uh, I guess I'd call him futurist. Um, he's run a couple tech companies and, uh, and has a very interesting view of what the future of, of healthcare looks like, what the future of medicine looks like. What the and future of the future looks like. What the future. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and one of the things he talks about is how, um, going into, you know, as we progress into the future, technology and man are really going to morph. And so for example, you'll be able to up your IQ by a hundred points just by, you know, injecting a microchip or whatever uh, into you. And I remember thinking about that. And I remember thinking, you know, there are no lack of really smart people in the world who have been incapable of solving the world's problems. And I think part of the reason for that is regardless of how smart you are, you are still human and you still view life through the lens of human existence. And so my big question about Ray Kurzweil's sort of intelligence download or the, you know, again, the ability to expand your intelligence is if you do that, are you actually making the world better and smarter? Or in many cases, are you just deepening the illusion? And I feel like Obamagate is a clear case of deepening the illusion because effectively if you look at all that information, I'm sure I, I haven't even bothered because it's just not, it's not true people. It's just not, it is, it's Bigfoot. It is a political Sasquatch. It does not exist. You can go in the woods with your infrared cameras and your Bigfoot call for weeks. You're never going to see one. And, but you, you know, so at any rate, I don't know. I kind of went on a tangent there, but. No, I mean, I'd love, I'd love to, I'm going to take the other side. I'd love to get to the bottom of some of the facts that they claim to have. I mean, I'll, and maybe I'll spend a few minutes on it at some point just to see what this, because it's like all things, right? There has to be some basis of the corruption charge in order to, to like, and so, you know, the example of that would be some of the things where they were kicking around around the Ukraine, right? Like, so, Mm -hmm. you know, it, what, was it clear that like the, the chain of events didn't say, I don't have that stuff all in front of me, so I'm not going to try to replay that, but like we can just sum it up this way. Was it was uh, there was a kernel of an accusation, right? Yeah, that that was a, a, that they could use to sort of spin the story, and then also just enough of the like political elite crap, like right that you know Biden's son, right? Who's clearly the most um, you know uh, qualified person to be on the board of a Ukrainian gas company? I of mean, course, nobody else they could have found that first would be person I'd think of. Yeah, um, you know, to be paid you know 
by at least the estimates I'd seen, you know, close to uh, $600,000 a year or something, where board seats are not worth $600,000 a year. I could be on the board of Goldman Sachs and they're not going to give me more than like a hundred grand a year. Mm-hmm. So if you're on a Ukrainian gas company uh, randomly and you're getting 600 grand, like it's not totally on the up and up, right? Yeah. It's just, it is what it is. Now, is it just the, the typical sort of, you know, vomitorium of the, you know, political influence and and powerful people having access to put their children in places that they probably shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or, or just, or the children's ability to play off their, you know, their parents, um, places to be, you know, just, uh, the, the powerful positions in order to get, um, into places that they shouldn't be allowed. Like yeah. for example, the Trump children who who run around doing all kinds of things that they shouldn't be doing. Or Jared Kushner, who's been assigned to, by my count, at least uh, he's the, the the savior of us all because he's assi- been assigned to every single crisis that exists on the planet. He's somehow supposedly uh, the guy who's going to solve it. So, um, so does he have anything? His only qualification for that, as far as I can tell, is being the son-in-law of the president so that's just same same right this is just absurd like it's absurd that he's that he is in a, has any access to any of this stuff is absurd hey friend i hope you're enjoying the episode and as the folks who've listened to this podcast before i know i have a favor to ask the way you're supposed to win elections in a democracy is by painting a more compelling vision for the future. And yet, the way you win elections in America is by making your party look like a less terrible choice than your opponents. It's a direct result of a system that only allows for two parties, and I need your help to change that. So first thing you can do is subscribe to YDHTY and share it with everyone you know. I don't know exactly how to do it on your phone, But if you've made it through more than 10 minutes of this episode, you can probably figure that out. Second, if you like YDHTY, write a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. It's the best way to get the word out to people you don't know. And third, start a conversation with me on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, or by visiting YDHTY.com. We're going to be putting up some bonus content there this week, I promise, on the past two episodes and some other stuff you can share with your friends. And more importantly, the big Jano has thrown me in a hole and won't throw me a rope until I get at least five likes. So please help me out here. And with that out of the way, from my hole, back to the episode. Here's here's the thing I think, you know, kind of about the 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 nature of you know, the nature of these stories and and the nature of, you know, Obamagate, the nature of and I tend to believe most of the stuff they say about Trump, I'll be honest. But um, but the nature of these investigations is that, you know, you can create enough, you can present somebody with enough information on a case where they are where where they don't have enough time to consume it all. And they don't have enough time to weigh it all out, but they have enough time to use that to reinforce any pre-existing opinion they had. And I think my advice to everybody out there who is trying to make sense of it is just don't. Do not. You know, don't. Don't bother. I think what people should be looking at is, you know, what is the long-term vision for America? What is it exactly that you want America to look like in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? And, and, And more importantly, what's like legitimately affecting you? 
Dan, I got an idea. We're selling t-shirts, baby. We're going to start putting t-shirts out there. One of them is going to be our, one of our, our main mottos, right? Which we brought up last week, which is we're going to sell t-shirts that just say on the back, it's going to say, you don't have to yell Yes. front. It's going to say, I don't know enough about that to have an opinion. Oh my goodness. Who wants one? Who? (laughs) I hear you lower Saxony. I know you're begging for one. (laughs) We'll we'll translate it into German for you. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe you could turn it into German for us because if we do it, it's going to really end up bad. (laughs) Yes, I know. I know. Not with those long words. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's exactly people. You don't know enough to have an opinion on that. If you, I are borrow, if you are borrowing an opinion, um, stop then it. stop it. Please. Well, at least spend the time to sort of try to figure out what the actual reality is. Yeah, I'll, but, I'll, I, but, but let, if, let's, it's, if it's a really complicated topic that people go get PhDs in, please, yeah. don't, please don't try to self-educate yourself with a, an afternoon of internet syllabi. Yes, let's cut the shit. Stop what you're doing. Stop what you're thinking. And ask yourself, what are the things that I want to exist in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? What do I want the world to look like? If you have kids, what kind of world do you want your kids growing up in? What are you worried about? When you look at a kid, what do you think their concerns are going to be in the coming decades? And what can you do to head those off? What can you do to make sure that the next, that in another 20 years, there aren't a group of kids who miss out on three months of schooling? because of a pandemic that for all intents and purposes, we probably, as a, as a global unit, I'm not just singling out the United States, we probably could have done a better job containing, you know? Um, and, and I think let's start there. Let's, let's stop. I mean, it, it's, you know, let's stop looking backwards and trying to piece together who was wrong and, and, and who did what. And let's just look forward. Cause honestly, the 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 name of the game in American politics is to divide. The name of the game is to demonize. And the way you do that is you keep re- having the same conversation on a loop that's never going to end. You know? Yeah. You just 100%. Keep, yeah, and so just everybody. Guys, there are 300 million of us. There are a handful of people in Washington. 300 million people can own the conversation, okay? We don't have to just wait to hear what we should have an opinion on from somebody else. You know well, what your life looks like. And I, I think that's what's alarming, right? It's like yeah. generally, I mean, this is, now we can get into sort of the left versus right on this, but this is yeah. interesting I was thinking as we came on, I was looking at some of the polling data, and it sort of seems like, especially like Republicans, right? Yeah. And I, and, I, and again, I'm not saying this to, to try to beat up on the Republicans. This morning. No, but it's especially Republicans. I know what you're going to say, so go uh, for it. So, uh, well, yeah, because then I'll get to a, another sort of cognitive fallacy I found on the other side of this, which I yeah. thought was interesting. So I'll, I'll, I'll even it out by coming back to that in a second. And not just the, I'm not going to do the, the, the press thing of two sides of the same issue. I'm going to just even it out instead by saying, mm-hmm. this is a thing you seem to be stupid on, and here's another thing you seem to be stupid on. Like, uh, and we'll go, like, <laughs> yeah. we'll, go we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it that way. Um, there's Republicans seem to have very high approval ratings, right. Of let's say what they're getting from like the government briefings. Okay. So the majority of Republicans think they're getting very good information from Mm -hmm. the press briefings. Mm -hmm. Okay. They're, they're the polling around their confidence in journalists has gone 
down and to the right. Mm-hmm. They're polling on the confidence in scientific, uh, you know, experts down and to the right. Okay. Mm-hmm. So all I want to point out in this is that you sort of quasi libertarian, uh, you know, um, federalists who want to think for yourselves, but the highest source of information that you rate or the source of information that you rate the highest are politicians telling you things. Yeah. And not just politicians, but a subset. And what I've seen happen in the last and and the reason I'm so hard on Republicans is because what I've seen happen over the last four years is it's you can't trust the Democrats. Now you can't trust the Democrats and some Republicans. Now you can't trust the Democrats, some Republicans, and law enforcement and the intelligence communities. Now you can't trust the Democrats, some Republicans, intelligence and law enforcement communities, and government appointees appointed by the president who you trust. So like we're whittling down the, the group of reliable sources to one person. Yeah, who's who again? And this is, you know, you, you said like, you believe everything about Trump earlier. Right. And, yeah. and I, I sort of chuckled, but, only, yeah. but I, I don't, I don't necessarily believe everything we say about him, but I do, I do say like his, the, the nature of his character is hiding in plain sight. It's not like someone we don't know a lot about. Yes. Right? I mean, this guy's been sued so many times for like fraudulent business activity. Yeah. He's defaulted on loans. He's got like, he's lost people tons of money. He does like, I remember reading back when like one of his companies was public, right? Mm-hmm. I remember going through the footnotes of like the, the 10K and finding all the self dealing. That was going on, like all what they call these in any section of a 10K, which by the way, anyone can look up, right? So you don't have to be a, a, a you know chartered financial analyst to, to be able to go and pull down a 10K of any company you want to look at, right? So mm-hmm. go ahead, look for yourself if you want to do it. Pull up, there's a, there's a, a cute little section of, of 10Ks and prospectus on any company where they sell related party transactions. And by the way, the length of that, that section and how much is in there, Mm-hmm. We'll tell you the nature of the the quality of the management team, like how much self dealing and like side pocketing are they doing, mm-hmm. right? And he was he's a classic example of that. Like when he yeah. had a public company, he was ripping it off every way he possibly could, right? Yeah. And it's not like we're not getting any lack of reporting on this now around the number of ways he's sort of like pocket side pocketing money from like government right now. Through filtering it through his companies, right? Yes. This is, this is, that's what the guy is. I mean, he's defrauded charities for crying out loud. It's not like, this is not like, it's, this is not, you know, a witch hunt. This is just the reality of what the, this is the guy. This is the guy. Like, yeah. I don't know, like, okay. Like you, you, and he's your singular source of information and you're going to believe everything he says. Yeah. Like, like, demonstrably everything he's like, most things he says are absurd. But I think, but I think that that is the one thing that people who, that the majority of people who are anti-Trump don't get, which is that the people who voted for him voted, knew they were voting for somebody like that. They knew they were voting for an imperfect character. And so their opinion or their vote isn't going to change based on 
any mountain or any amount of material that tells you he's a bad, dishonest person. They already know that. And I think it is a mix of frustration over the fact that they're not being heard, that they're definitely not being taken care of, and that this guy just happens to speak to those things and also is kind of, you know, has this, you know, uh, comes in with a lot of bravado and comes in with this image of being somebody who's going to take care of things and get stuff done and be tough. And like, and, and so, and that, that's what attracts them. And so he can say anything he wants and it's not going to lose him a vote because they've already made that equation. And unless you can give them something better, then he's going to be their choice. And, but this is like what I, this is. I mean, this is why it's such an interesting level of brainwashing to me. Because yeah. you could read any one of a number of books that have been written about him before he was ever a political candidate of any kind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, and you're going to find he's a disaster as an executive. Yeah, but so they've, what? <laughs> but they've already made. They've already made. They've already seen it all. That's the thing. They've already made that equation, and he has just made that emotional connection, and he's made a strong enough case, and they haven't really. You know, with the exception of the economy now, they haven't, re- which he's again doing a very interesting, uh, taking a very interesting strategy and trying to make it a question of are the governors ruining the economy or not? He's really trying to pass the buck on that. But, you know, I, well, he's I, trying I to, it seems to me like the strategy, right? And tell me if you think I'm wrong, is just to create as many potential scapegoats as possible. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt, I think I think the the goal is to kind of pass this off on whoever he can, and um, and you know I don't know. I mean I, I I don't I don't necessarily think it's going to fuel anti Republican um, or how do I put this? I I don't quite I, I don't really see how uh, that strategy is going to work at the ba- at the ballot box. It seems like and you can correct me if you think differently, but um it seems to me like when people go to the ballot box, it's very binary and it's like economy good incumbent, economy bad next person. And yeah. I don't quite see how he's going to create this sort of anti-democratic wave by pinning the economy on them. I just don't I, I maybe I'm naive, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I mean, you can see he's definitely trying to pin all the problems in like Michigan on right, which is a battleground state. So yeah. that's like that's an obvious one. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I mean, these these these. It's not like this is like you know, what, what's the famous one like the fourth dimensional chess? I mean, boy, you 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 wish people could just kind of like, I mean, see what's the obvious of what's happening. Like these are political strategies and you can sort of argue whether they're, they're good political strategies or bad political strategies. But yeah. Let's not pretend they're anything but political strategies. Um, but I wanted to make sure I got back to evening out the, uh, the cognitive um, insanity though. Could uh, I just, could I just, I, I want yeah, you to get ahead. to that, but, but you know, you talk about fourth dimensional chess and I had this realization yesterday, which is, yeah, these situations are complex and fourth dimensional chess is a great analogy and our options are left and right. 
our options are one-dimensional. It is a line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, like, Tic-tac-toe right. has more dimensions than our political system has from a voting perspective. That's right. Yes. So sorry. So you were going to no, go no, on. No, so the- that's a great, that's a great point though. Cause that's, I mean, that's, that's really what you're trying to do, right? I mean, this is yeah. what you're trying to talk about or what we're trying to talk about increasingly. Yes. Like that this is that we need a little bit, especially at the house of representatives side, we need to see more of a spectrum of ideas that are coming up. Um, yeah. To take right? full advantage, to take full advantage of real federalism. Like if you truly are a believer in federalism, you really should be actually behind this concept because yes. you really want, you know, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of, as we talked about in the last time, like I, I like, uh, I like as often as possible, I would like to see policymaking made at the smallest possible group level. Right. Mm-hmm. And when it, when we absolutely can't figure out something or need, uh, resources that you can't get at that level, you kick it up to the next level. Right. Yeah. And so that's a pretty, this is a good example of like, getting a, a wider spectrum of voices coming out of the local and state level mm-hmm. is actually would be very, I think very beneficial to the overall conversation. And that's where I think getting rid of the sort of this first past the post in these very small districts, that's mm-hmm. really not helpful because all it does is to your point is harden this sort of very one dimensional um, way of, of looking at everything in this, in this yes or, or no right, left polarity. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, I think of, um, guest earlier this month, Wacey Alpha Cody, Texas 11th congressional district. It is an area twice the size of Massachusetts. It is, I think it's an eight hour drive from one end of it to the other and staunchly Republican, but you know, North Carolina, there are parts of North Carolina that are staunchly Republican too, or parts of Georgia. And what Wacey and his constituents need to function or what they need out of government is vastly different than those regions. So I don't get how this rigid party platform, the structure around a rigid party platform is supposed to deliver effective governance of such a diverse region or such a diverse country. I just don't get it. And I guess I I shouldn't say I don't get it. I think it's false. That's why I don't get it because it doesn't, you know, it's not, it's, it's a built, it's a design flaw. That's right. You know, I I totally, totally agree. But so can come back to, I wanted to come back to even the song, something that just seemed to pop out for me. Yeah. On, on looking at the sort of the um, the pew polling on on views of the news sources that they're getting their facts from, I thought it was just very interesting that uh, Democrats and people leaning Democrat the, who believe that the, the facts that they're getting from their sources right um, are generally the same set of facts across all their sources of news, right? Mm-hmm. And the majority of them, seventy percent of them, right think that the facts that they're getting are generally consistent. But yet the percentage of of liberal or like Democrats that think the made up news and information is leaving Americans confused about the basic facts. Mm-hmm. So it, there's a very like, there's very much like a Lake Wobegon effect going on with this stuff, where it's just like, well, yo, well, I mean, I won't be confused because I'm an above average thinker, but um, but someone else will be confused by this, right? And you get the same sort of thing in like just overall views of fake news, 
right? Which is that, um, you know, when you, when you ask about, you know, just general questions about, you know, news accuracy, and then generally all of them are, and almost everyone says that they, uh, they can spot fake news, but they're concerned that fake news is going to impact elections. Mm -hmm. Right. So majority, like a majority will say, oh, I think it's going to at least somewhat impact the election. And then they're like, but then a majority are above average drivers, right? They're all, the majority are also, well, but I can spot it. Yes. Yes. And as you said on an earlier episode, which I thought was great, is we can't all be above average drivers because then that would be the average. (laughs) Right. So, uh, so yeah, that's just another a sort of another level of sort of cognitive failing because yeah. it just it's interesting to me that you can see it in uh, the anxiety about this just generally, right? Like, um, you know, forty percent of Democrats are are anxious the majority of their time about COVID and coronavirus versus twenty eight percent of Republicans. Wait, so repeat that. So 40% of Democrats are anxious the majority of their time. So either most of their time or at least like four days a week out of their week, they're saying in response to the question, they're saying that they are anxious about it, right? Yeah. 28% of Republicans. Now, there's a lot of things that could be cutting at that. It could be um, where they get their news from. It could be where they live. I mean, it's yes. been cities. So maybe like if you're in more of a city dweller and you're maybe like New York that's going to impact this, right? Because you're going to have a much uh, a much more serious view of it versus if you're in a rural area. So certainly that could have a lot to do with it. But it sort of tells me that, you know, I think at least I think we could sort of unpack that, you know, the where you're getting your news sources from and where those news sources tend tend to sit, which is also in major cities. The New York Times is, you know, all still most of them work out of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, that it colors like the level of uh, the reporting. And as we talked about with murder hornets, it creates like more anxiety than even maybe you should have about these things. Right. So we report every single thing. And this has sort of been my concern about um, all of the reporting on coronavirus is that there's no real qualifying of what has more of an actuarial probability of affecting you than other things. Right. So Mm -hmm. if an article says, you know, the coronavirus, COVID-19 coronavirus can survive on a surface for 72 hours. Mm-hmm. That is like a lab bench experiment. That does not mean your Amazon packages are carrying enough viral load to make you sick. Or yes. that they've even been sitting there. Or that that has an equal chance of getting you sick as someone who's blatantly symptomatic coughing in your face. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 it's all about like dose level, right? So how much virus is somebody carrying? How much, how are they, how are they getting it out into the, the air around them or onto the surfaces around them? How much are you picking up? Right. It's not, it's not just like one, you know, one micro particle of virus is what it takes to make you sick, right? That it's, it's a cumulative effect of like the total impact of the viral load. Yeah. And so, but that's not the way these things are reported, right? They're, it's reported as if like this sort of breathlessly reported, like this is now, you know, an issue that you're going to pick it up off casual contact from whatever, 
Like, which is just, I, I mean, I think, you know, obviously I'm not qualified to make an assessment of this, but I, I just, you just be careful about what you're reading again, like go in and say like where, you know, can, can survive for 72 hours on a surface. Mm-hmm. Just make sure you understand the nature of what they're saying. Go in and read it down to the fifth paragraph because like, are you sure like, is, is it saying that there was a statistically large number of people that caught it this way? No. Mm-hmm. Right. What it's saying is that some researcher maybe did a paper or an experiment where they were able to still see, you know, several particles of it potentially still viable after 72 hours in perfect conditions. I think that's where like economics, the economics of media and politics and human nature and technology have all sort of blended together in a very horrible mix um, because it is our na- it's human nature to perceive threat. That's like the re- you know the reason you know how like you look at a car and you can see a face in it or you look at different things you can see faces in different you know objects. Yep. It's it's actually an evolutionary trait that goes way back to when we were living in trees and it was and the night was dark and people survive or whatever existed at the time, whatever our ancestors were at the time, they survived by their ability to make out faces in the dark. And so you were more likely to survive if you saw a face that didn't exist and ran from it. than if you happened to miss making out a face that was coming to eat you, you know? Right, 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 right. And so it is our nature. It's, we are hardwired to perceive threat. Um, And, and, with and media as a business is hardwired to seek attention, right? And so, obviously, sensational news is always going to be great. So, because we we're constantly looking for threats, and if we see a threat, it almost brings us. It's almost like like poking a zit or something, you know? It's like yep. it's it's like we're touching on that that primal urge to 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 avoid danger, and maybe we feel a little safer. I'm not going to psychoanalyze it, right? But so we've got those two things. Those two things have always existed, you know? So there's always been sensational news. Uh, however, uh, with the, the nature of technology now, um, we, uh, you know, we are now able to share that sensational news and distribute it in a much more rapid, wider fashion. And so people seek out, again, they seek out that threat. They seek out, and, and more importantly, I think they want to make sense of it, um, and, and, and because it feels better to make sense of things. So in the example of the, the divide over COVID, and again, I, I think it's a dangerous, it's a dangerous uh, habit to psychoanalyze people's opinions into irrelevance. However, if I had to guess with the people who are maybe downplaying the pandemic, it is a lot easier to think that, there is either hysteria or there is a cabal of globalists who want to bring down the economy so Trump can get voted out. That's a lot easier than to think we have this uncontrollable thing going through society that may last for another year, who knows, and may take a lot more people down with it. Um, and no, uh, it just and it would be nice if you know. Again, I mean, this sort of just comes back to the point about it would be nice if there could be a more nuanced discussion about some of these. Things. Yeah, because, and because there are like, if look, if we if we came to the conclusion like, look, it is it is a yes, it is a threat, and at the same time, we can't let it destroy the entire economy. 
yeah. then perhaps we can have a more intelligent discussion as opposed to hardening along lines of sort of, it's not a concern and we need to open up tomorrow and, and wearing a mask makes you, uh, you know, some sort of, you know, cock <laughs> versus, yeah. Like, yeah. versus like the other side, which is like, we also need to stay battened down in our homes and not go out anywhere because it's imminently going to kill us. I mean, this, that, that, that again, we're like falling right back into this polarity mm-hmm. is really damaging. Yes. Because it's either going to cost people's lives or it's going to cost the economy. Yeah. And you're not, you're not, you're not get, seeking a, a solution that, that minimizes both. Right? Yes. I, I, I'm going to be prescriptive here for the folks listening because, you know, we tend to talk a lot about what the ideal state would look like. And I think it's important that people understand what they can do. To, to get to that state. And there's a, a motivational speaker, uh, an old motivational speaker, Jim Rohn. And uh, he said, stand guard over your mind. Stand guard over your mind. And there, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. But I think in, in, the, in the, the context of this conversation, I think what, I would recommend we focus on that everybody focus on is getting back to something I said earlier. Number one, where do you want America to be? What do you, where do you want it to be? Where do you want to be personally? What is it? What, what does 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what does a good outcome look like to you? And what does a good outcome for your children? If you have them, you know, what does that look like? What does a good future look like and what needs to be in place and then work backwards from there and try and figure out what's the best path to get there. And stand guard over your mind. Don't get distracted by murder hornets or hydroxychloroquine or the governor in some state you don't even live in, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, like don't who's, get- Whose dis- name, if I had asked you six weeks ago, who you would the know of Michigan. They would not have known. <laughs> I not love how known. angry people are at her. It's just start like, do you live you, in Michigan? No, but like, it's terrible. <laughs> but you wouldn't. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. I don't know. I don't yeah. know enough about it. Like, I, I, I don't honestly, know enough like, to have an opinion. I probably had seen her name in the paper at some point. I read a lot of news, yeah. but I, yeah. if you'd put a gun to my head and said, "Who's the governor of Michigan?" Like eight weeks ago, six weeks ago, I'm not sure I would have known the answer. Yeah. So that, what, that you have such an affirmative opinion about it is insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and this kind of goes back to guarding, standing guard over your mind, Dan. Is the, yeah. is, I, the first step you could do is something you said uh, last episode, I think, which was, um, or the last episode you and I were on together, Yeah, uh, is if an article is meant it, it is to get you, like, outraged, yeah. source the shit out of that article. Hundred, like, yes. The more your emotional response to the article, the more you need to make sure you understand what you just read. Yeah. Not the opposite. Right? Yes. Yes. I and and I will call myself out on being asleep at the guard post when the murder hornet story broke. But um yeah, like like stop stop letting yourselves be played. You know, it's as long as as long as either the Antichrist is in office or 
there are I, I love a bunch of globalist socialists. I don't quite get it. I don't get how the wealthiest people in the world sort of cabal with socialists to try and establish this new world order. But do they all say, get along together? Like, yeah. do they all get along and share some view of where this is of where things yeah. are all going? Like, I mean, like as if they yeah. don't disagree and fight. I mean, I, so, I mean, Bill Gates is a good example of this because yeah. he's been like the, the punching bag recently. Right. And look, I'm sure there's plenty of things to criticize Bill Gates over, but I'm going to start with this. Bill Gates could spend a million dollars a day for the next 300 years and not <laughs> run out of money. Do you, <laughs> why does he care about implanting a chip in you? I, I don't, it, it's, it's so bizarre that we are even like focused on some sort of maniacal thing that Bill Gates, the guy has given away half his money and he's pledged to give away like almost all of the rest of it. Yes. When he dies to things like vaccinations. And, and like, if you're, if you want to, if you're an anti-vaxxer, like fine, I guess, like if yeah. that's the opinion you really want to have and you feel like you, that's the hill you want to die on because you've done some research around it. Everything I've ever seen has debunked most of that stuff. And quite frankly, yeah. people like to say, you know, nothing's done more for human welfare than, you know, capitalism. And I'll say, well, I, I generally would agree, except maybe mm-hmm. like antibiotics and vaccines, which have probably done even more. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now. So, uh, you know, it just comes back to sort of these, again, like the, the conspiracy theories and cabals and of these globalists who are working against your interests. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, the human need for narrative is like one of our great strengths because it probes, it's, it allows us to ask questions and seek cause and effect. Yeah. It is also our biggest cognitive failing because it's constantly creates like narrative constructs that we need to explain things that are incredibly complex and or random. Yeah. Right. I mean, the face in the car. Right. And so, you know, if we have, we're really poor at dealing with sort of complexity and low probability events that can occur. Mm-hmm. And then when they occur, we have to like ascribe some explanation as to why there was a higher probability of it occurring right than there actually was right this is just because we live in a complex probabilistic world which is just generally uncomfortable to the way people think we look for linear storytelling we always do Mm -hmm. like and it's sorry it's it's sometimes the world's a bit more complicated than that we didn't even touch on the world health organization let me let me let me put it let me let me sum it up quickly anyway if we stop funding, if the U.S. pulls out of funding, the World Health Organization will go on. It's not going anywhere, right? So, um, the all of so there's two different buckets of funding. Um, I'll give, kind of hit just the high facts that people might want to know. On this, there's two buckets of funding. There's sort of voluntary funding, and then there's assessed funding, like by members of the World Health Organization, as like the U.S. would be. Um. The U.S. is, if the U.S. goes to zero, which is what we're saying, is that we would not fund it, they would lose 4% of their total funding. So that's, that's the grand total. 4%. What, 4% is what we spend, uh, what we have been assessed. Um, now, what and then there's sort of this... China. Yeah, so China is 1.5% of that. Actually, less than that even. Total okay. Is like 1.5%. Uh, their assessed is like one3 so, 
And then, so this idea that China has sort of control of the World Health Organization, I don't think that's the case. Because I coming back to sort of what we were just saying a little bit, mm-hmm. never ascribe to conspiracy what can easily be um, explained by just incompetence and mm-hmm. bureaucracy, mm-hmm. right? Like the World Health Organization is a very large, like very large organization that spends, you know, billions of dollars a year. It collects and spends billions of dollars a year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they, I think that's more just a bureaucratic issue. No one's covered themselves in glory here, right? Like nobody on, mm-hmm. on dealing with this pandemic. And uh, most of all, I think the World Health Organization has a, has a lot to sort of reflect on how they handled this. But it sort of speaks to sort of some underlying weakness in these structures more than I think it matters, than, than it's like a conspiracy that the whole thing's being controlled by China. It's more that these international organizations that allow... That, that gather information and then take that information from places like the U.S., but then also places like Russia and China, and treat that information sort of similarly. Yeah, that is where you start to, I think, see some where you get some uh, weaknesses revealed. Right? Yeah. Is that the weak link there is that the World Health Organization basically just took what they were getting from China because China was the only source of information on this early on yes. right mm-hmm. and and then parroted most of that information out to the world yes. until such time as they could no longer really follow that what they had heard was um you know was really there now granted it's not like they were hiding it it's not like they said they're not then there was no lie of commission here they didn't say like that they'd investigated and it was fine mm-hmm. they just said well the chinese authorities have looked into this and they found no real issue Right. This is sort of in January. Yes. But then they had to reverse that as it got increasingly worse. Yeah. And, you know, again, not covering themselves in glory. It's like you got the world director publicly criticizing countries that were adopting travel restrictions because all they were operating on is what they were being given by the Chinese. So this idea that that they sort of just blindly accepted that what they were getting was in good faith seems to be the actual issue to me. Yeah. It's not that it's controlled by you know, uh, the Chinese government, it's just that they treat information that they get from, you know, no, like demonstrably, uh, notorious, like governments that have been like, that work in, you know, spin and, um, and, and, uh, and uh, for lack of a word, I guess, lies, right. And misinformation, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, and then, and then act as if that was, that's the news until they got other news. And then they was like, Oh, well, we're reversing our opinion here. Mm-hmm. But like, well then maybe you shouldn't have sort of been so firm on it until you'd actually had a chance to go in. It's like, and actually, uh, you know, conduct your own investigation. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, so anyway, I mean that, that's, I yeah. think where the, I think to me, that's where the, the family yeah. is on the flip side of this though, is this other reactionary view to like, Oh well, why are we calling it the China virus? Why are we calling it Wuhan? So, like, that's you know racist in some way. And you're like, I think we're calling it that because a it originated there, and b this idea that there's like that it wasn't that it didn't originate mm-hmm. for like Wuhan was the first place it hit, and I don't think anyone disagrees with that. And that there oh by the way there happens to be a Wuhan center of disease control and prevention that studies bad viruses like right there mm-hmm. like. Are we really asking? I mean, you're never going to know 
like whether it was Colonel Mustard in the library with the <laughs> candlestick, like you're never going to get like an exact like blow by blow of how that how it traveled. But I mean, let's not be stupid. I mean, it it very clearly like came from that area. And oh, by the way, it either was you know this wet market, which uh, you can read papers that would say it, pro- it doesn't seem to be something that developed there. Mm-hmm. Or it came from this coronavirus facility that happens to be in Wuhan. Like you, th- and you think it escaped the? You think it was a lab mistake? You think? I think it was a lab mistake. Yeah, I do. Really? Um, I mean, that's basically. I mean, again, do I know? No. Have there been any number of Chinese lab accidents? I mean, I can. There's a whole database of these things you can find online of like yeah. of each of the. I can send you the link if you want to. Yeah, there. I'll put it where up. You yeah. can look where you can see, like you can see where they've had different problems like this, right? There's a global database of this stuff, and you can see where they've had accidents like this stuff before. So the idea that that this was a you know an accident, um, you know, of just someone getting exposed to it and then carrying it outside or whatever mm-hmm. it was, but that seems like the highest probability answer to what this was versus like, I mean, again, we're never gonna know, you're never gonna know, you're never gonna have like beyond a reasonable doubt like exact you know uh, sequence of events but we just have to go with what was the highest probability and for me that's based on least on what we can see so who wants a t-shirt now we covered a lot in that episode but there's one thing i think is important to take away from it and something i've harped on before Um, Getting back to what I said at the beginning of the episode, in an age where we have an unprecedented ability to both disseminate and consume information, we need to be more vigilant than ever over what we choose to put in our heads. And here's a good litmus test. Does what you're reading evoke a strong emotional reaction? If so, whoever's putting it out is either after your money or after your attention. And in the case of the current pandemic, where it is literally life and death, we can just listen to the doctors. Just like you can find some rando on YouTube to give you bad advice about weight loss, the answer is often very obvious, well-publicized recommendations of the medical community that are also super boring. Sorry. And it's really that simple. And if the person you vote for happens to disagree, I would remind you that the Pope made Galileo deny the sun was at the center of the solar system, and that didn't seem to change the Earth's orbit. Now, for June, we have a fantastic lineup, starting off with Mitch Kokai of the John Locke Foundation, who joins me to discuss the state of gerrymandering in North Carolina and what his organization is doing to make for a more equitable carving of congressional districts. I hope you'll join me. Per usual, search for You Don't Have to Yell on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and online at YDHTY.com. I promise we'll be updating it this time. And as always... Music courtesy of Fellertack. YDHDY is produced in North Carolina by the Snake Killer, the Big Geno, Jason Putney. Until the next, this is Dan Sally. I love you. <laughs> <laughs>